WBEZ is supported by Chicago Humanities, presenting live events with historians Doris Kearns Goodwin and John Meacham, comedian Reggie Watts, and filmmaker Miranda July, and artists Hebrew Brantley and Amanda Williams in conversation. Plus, MSNBC chief correspondent Ali Velshi on small yet powerful acts of courage throughout history. Tickets for these events and more conversations on arts, culture, and current affairs at chicagohumanities.org. This WBEZ podcast is supported by the American Foundation for Suicide Prevention. Suicide is a topic that hides in the shadows. It's time we talk away the dark, learn how to spot the warning signs for suicide, and how you can have an open, caring, real conversation to help save lives. Visit the American Foundation for Suicide Prevention to watch the new short film and learn more at AFSP.org slash talkawaythedark. I'm Sasha Ann Simons, and this is Reset. We all know what it's like to feel burnt out when work and just life drain you. For those with the privilege, the pandemic and remote work has blurred the lines between our personal and professional lives. Sometimes we've been working longer and harder. But when does burnout go from a brief inconvenience to something that can actually kill you? A recent study from the World Health Organization found that more than 745,000 people died from overwork in 2016. So how do you protect yourself and stop burnout in its tracks? With us to help identify the warning signs of overwork and put on the brakes is Dr. Scott Mendelson, Assistant Professor of Neurology at the University of Chicago. He's joined by Joyce Martyr, psychotherapist and author of the upcoming book, The Financial Mindset Fix, a mental fitness program for an abundant life. Now, as we just mentioned, a recent study from the World Health Organization found that overwork is literally killing us. And better than most of us, Dr. Mendelssohn knows why and how. Yeah, it was a a pretty depressing study to read for sure. And I think one of the more sort of heartbreaking points from it was that, in fact, it was getting worse over the study period. So they looked at people who worked over 55 hours a week between 2010 and 2016 and found that the rate only increased in that time period. And it was attributed to more deaths by the end of that study in 2016. So very, very disheartening. So what does overwork and stress look like physically? What are the warning signs that we should look out for? Yeah. So as we work more, we have less time to then take care of ourselves. And taking care of ourselves means not only sort of personal hygiene and interacting with people outside of work, but also sleep. And sleep plays a big part of it. So there are sort of two ways that you can sort of divide the effect of too much work on us as people operating in the world. And that's one is what is our body doing and what is our body telling us Mm -hmm. for more stressed because we're working more and we're getting less sleep that has effects on our immune system we might find ourselves getting more colds and flu-like illnesses as it affects on our hormones and our metabolism so how do we use the energy and the foods that we consume and also has effects on our brain how are we thinking about things are we a little bit more irritable are we a little bit quick to judge and things like that because of our brain's response to the stress and then that sort of spills over into the choices we make. Do we make choices around sleep, getting less or more sleep in exchange for other activities? Um, Going back to food choices as well, do we make different choices about the foods that we eat because we're under stress or we're getting less sleep? And do we make other choices about things around alcohol and tobacco because of that stress? And so all of those things, uh, you know, can look like 
feeling tired, feeling irritable, getting sick more often, and again, making different choices about our health. Mm. The study found that the majority of deaths were due to heart disease and stroke. Doctor, according to the WHO, people working 55 hours or more each week, they are 35% more likely to have a stroke and 17% more likely to die from heart disease compared with people who work the 35 to 40 hour week. Doctor, who is most at risk? So the study looked and showed that, you know, across the board, those people that were working those 55 hours or more were experiencing more stroke, having more heart disease, and particularly males were at a higher risk and those over the age of 60. And we know that as decades of life go on, as we get older in life, the risk of heart disease and stroke go up. But it seems like in this group that we're working more than 55 hours, that was an additional risk um, to the overall age effect. Joyce, I want to turn to you now. You focus a lot on the mental and uh, emotional well-being. Yes, absolutely. And in my clinical practice, I'm seeing that people are really dealing with burnout. And I give several corporate trainings per week on work-life balance and positive mental health. Mm -hmm. And many companies are asking for these types of trainings right now. And one of the challenges I'm seeing, one company that hired me said, we want you to do a work-life balance training, but we expect our employees to work 80 to 100 hours a week. So we don't want you to tell them to work less, which is deeply concerning. And Well, then the what re- was the point of that? Exactly. It, I had my hands tied. And the research is showing that as people are moving to remote working, they're working even more. And 45% say they work more during the week than they ever did before. And 70% are now working on the weekends. So break this down for us, Joyce. What is the difference between a tiring day and burnout? Burnout is a clinical diagnosis, and it puts us at risk for mental health conditions like depression and anxiety, and it includes fatigue, emotional exhaustion, apathy, making mistakes at work, memory difficulties, so there's emotional and cognitive symptoms, and it can even impair our sleep, which obviously is related to our health. There's a very deep, intrinsic relationship between the mind and the body. The WHO looked at 2016, but the authors also note that overwork has been on the rise for years because of the rise of the gig economy and teleworking. And teleworking specifically, that's made it really, really hard to sort of cut this clear line between, okay, I'm working right now. All right, I'm doing stuff for home right now. So, Joyce, how do we do it then? How do we actually set these boundaries to protect ourselves from overworking? We really have to care enough about ourselves and empower ourselves to structure our day and make our own schedule. And our day should start with a morning routine of some sort of wellness practice. So resist the urge to pick up your phone and look at your emails and instead take a moment for deep breathing, stretching, journaling, setting an intention for the day. And when you map out your day, you want to plan in times for mindful moments and self-care, for accessing support, and you really need to set limits to your work hours and stick to those. And not working on weekends or limit that to a couple hours, you know, one day but not the other. Ideally working 40 hours a week or 45, at the most 50, and if it gets above that, you're putting your health and your mental health at risk. 
So I'm a big fan of setting automatic email responses, not responding to work emails outside of office hours. And we really need to work on our healthy, assertive communication with supervisors to set boundaries with workload and expectations. Assertive communication really it demonstrates respect for yourself and others. It's clear, it's direct, it's diplomatic. It's not passive or mm-hmm. passive-aggressive, and we need to learn to say no. I think sometimes fear gets in the way, and people feel like they're going to be viewed negatively if they don't set these boundaries, but employees who work on reasonable hours are really enabling a company culture that exploits their staff. So we each need to do our part by setting reasonable boundaries at work, and fear of retaliation is never a good mode of operation. Geez, Joyce, if that was a test at all, I would have failed at question one, (laughs) because when you said resist the urge to check your phone first thing in the morning, I was like, oh, fail. Yeah, Uh, it's challenging. (laughs) It is so challenging, especially in in this industry. It's very, very challenging. Um, Dr. Mendelson, it makes me now think of you, because you've got to know what it's like to work long hours being in the medical field. So how do you address overworking and, and how it impacts you? Yes. I mean, I, I couldn't agree more that we need to be assertive for ourselves and also in our communications with our superiors, our bosses about setting boundaries. It's hard. I'm not good at it for sure. And it takes a lot of effort both internally and sort of externally to set those boundaries, to start creating habits about when are you going to check your email? When are you going to be responsive to calls? Because even before the pandemic, we were struggling with creating those boundaries and all of those boundaries have now become blurred because of the increasing amount of time we work from home and work remote. It's a struggle. All I can say is that, you know, institutions in general and the healthcare industry are sort of aware of these risks and try to address it at the individual employee level. And, and personally speaking, yes, you just have to be sort of diligent, set those boundaries as much as possible and mm-hmm. sort of stick with the plans. Doctor, is this one of those do as I say, not as I do moments for you? <laughs> Unfortunately, <laughs> I just so, gave you the yes. platform and you're like, well, I struggle too. No, that's good. I, I love it. We keep it real here on Reset. Are, are you seeing similar problems related to overworking among your patients, though? Yes. And in fact, I often get the question in my clinics, you know, doctor, this stroke, was this caused by my work? Was this caused by my stress? And that's not a, a straightforward answer by any measure. But this study definitely gives me sort of second thoughts about how I'm going to have those conversations with my patients. Um, It's important for us now to have the conversation around work-life boundaries and what the consequences of those choices might be down the lines in terms of health. So this is something absolutely that I'm taking into the clinics with me now. Hey, Joyce, the U.S. is a country that it really prides itself on its commitment to work and to the hustle. It's A big reason why my Canadian self is here, right? (laughs) I came here to chase the dream, to chase the hustle. And Chicago is known as, you know, the city that works. Do we just need to rewire how we think about work and what constitutes success? Yes, absolutely. I think as a culture, we need to change our definition of success. Many think of success as about career and financial achievement alone, and we need a more holistic definition of success that includes positive mental and physical health, connected relationships, and work-life balance. And that's what I call an abundant life and talk about in my upcoming book, which is also a corporate wellness program. You know, there are plenty of folks who would argue that working longer hours means that they make more money and that they're more likely to be up for that promotion, right? If, if I'm seen all the time and I'm 
bust in a sweat, my boss is going to give me that opportunity that I've been looking for. How do we balance our own mental and physical health with our raw ambition? Being ambitious is fabulous, and the world needs each of us to shine our talents brightly. So that's fantastic, but we need to balance it with self-care and accessing support or we're going to burn out. So I applaud companies that offer wellness programming and especially mindfulness and the workplace programming. Companies like Nike, Nokia, Google, and Johnson & Johnson have meditation programs, mindfulness clubs, yoga in the workplace. And the research really shows that mindfulness, it has so many benefits to our mental and physical health as well as work benefits. It actually improves our productivity, it improves creative thinking, problem solving, collaboration, higher emotional intelligence, and improved work-life balance. Mm -hmm. So just like our computers, you know, get overloaded when we have too many screens open, we need to reboot ourselves through processes like meditation, which really is like a reboot for the mind, the body, and the spirit. So taking time for ourselves and our self-care actually makes us more successful at work. The research shows that multitasking is one of our biggest problems. It causes overwhelm and stress. And so if we can slow down, focus on the breath, chunk our tasks, decrease our alerts, and avoid shifting gears from one tax to another as mm -hmm. much as possible, we're going to create more calm and wellness in our minds and bodies. Dr. Mendelson, what are your thoughts on that? You know, Joyce said that the key word that you hear all the time, right, is self-care, self-care. I agree. Uh, you know, I think that this study, again, highlights the need for placing emphasis on self-care. The down sort of stream effects of the overworking um, or the working of excess hours are these choices that we make. And making a time and a space for self-care, making a time for doing some of the things suggested, I think is one way to address that stress, one way of addressing the changes in our body and the changes in our mind that come from working these long hours. So I agree. It's, it's not always easy to carve out that time and space, but I think it's important if you know for yourself that you are working these excess hours, if you know you're at risk for some of these conditions, you just have to make it a priority. What else do you think needs to change either on a policy level or just a cultural level to reduce what could be called death by work? Yeah, that's a much harder question. You know, the authors of the study didn't really sort of be able to make one-to-one -one connections or make sort of suggestions about what are the different levers outside of this correlation between the long hours and the increased in mortality. Mm -hmm. So there's a lot of questions in there about quality of work as well. You know, how do people view their job satisfaction and their engagement with work and how does that relate to either stress and or these long working hours? Um, you know, we can't say from the study that, well, then we should limit the work hours entirely, but maybe there are opportunities in jobs or in positions where employees are asked to work longer hours to then address these downstream effects, then it is maybe we do better surveillance of mm -hmm. primary care and health care needs. Maybe we do provide more services around self-care. Um, you know, maybe we do provide services around better sleep hygiene and things like that. So there are a lot of sort of suggestions and a lot of things we potentially could do. We just don't know yet what is going to be the most effective. You talked earlier, doctor, about diet. You talked about the foods that we eat and how they relate to heart disease and, and stroke. What should we be eating? that could offset burnout? 
Sure. So the diet I always recommend to my patients is what I consider to be the Mediterranean diet. So it's a heart-healthy diet. You know, the easiest way is a little bit of protein, lots of fruits, lots of vegetables. Try to substitute out animal fats for plants. So this is olive oils and mm -hmm. things like that. And everything in moderation, right? Not too much of any one thing. Joyce, I'll give you the last word here. You know, what's at stake? You know, when we can't or we won't take our nose off the grindstone, what are we doing here? We're killing ourselves, just as the study says. Physically, and obviously we're living in a mental health epidemic even prior to the pandemic. So rates of anxiety and depression are higher. Relationship conflict is higher. Domestic violence, child abuse. Another symptom of people being overworked is that women are experiencing career issues because women are still doing 80% of the household responsibilities and child care. And people have had kids at home, e-learning and hybrid learning, and women are really suffering in that way. So, you know, we need to look at our relationships and cultivate mutual division of labor in our partnerships. And workplaces, like Dr. Mendelson said, need to provide more benefits, like EAP benefits, I love apps like Calm and Headspace and Ginger mm -hmm. that many companies offer. Employers need to look at psychological safety and making sure they're facilitating a company culture where employees feel safe going to leadership and talking about their workload without fear of retaliation. That is psychotherapist Joyce Martyr. She's author of the forthcoming book, The Financial Mindset Fix, a mental fitness program for an abundant life. It's out next month. Also with us, Dr. Scott Mendelson, assistant professor of neurology at the University of Chicago. Dr. Mendelson and Joyce, thank you so much. And that's today's Reset. We hope you'll take a few seconds to give this podcast a quick rating and review. It really helps other people find us. I'm Sasha Ann Simons. Thanks for listening. We'll meet again tomorrow. Hi, it's Terry Gross, the host of Fresh Air. We bring you in-depth, long-form interviews with actors, directors, musicians, authors, journalists, and more. Listen to our Peabody Award-winning Fresh Air podcast from WHYY and NPR.